Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hypersexualized times of ours. And in today's episode, we have a couple that I really admire. That's why they're on the show, is I hand-selected this couple based off of how they communicate with each other. I've known them kind of from afar. We've collaborated on a few things here and there, but I don't know them deeply personally. But I've always admired their relationship because they overtly love each other. And even on social media, the wife is constantly hitting on her husband and talking about how good looking he is. And I'm always like, this is so cool. It's something that I would love to have in my future. And I'm sure you would too. That's why I invited them because I felt like, why don't we plug in to their couple so that we can understand how to build a clear vision for what love looks like at that phase in our lives. They've been married and blessed for 33 years now. And if you're already married for many years yourself, then you can gain a lot of tips from them to find yourself in a better situation. Because in this episode, we go into some dark nights of the soul that they've been through together as a couple, but also what they've been doing right to build this romance that they have. Because truth be told, it sounds like based on their story that they weren't really in love in the beginning but they are deeply in love now 33 years into their marriage so what are they doing and how can we learn from them regardless if you are single newlywed or have been in a relationship for a long time we can all learn a lot from this couple so please welcome roger and daniela weatherall all right welcome back everybody so we really do have a wonderful couple. I've scouted this couple personally throughout the entire interwebs. I've found this couple because there's something very special about a couple who publicly flirts online with one another and they're always complimenting each other and it's very admirable. And this would definitely fall into the category of life goals because no couple is perfect at all and everybody goes through their trials and we will get into that but this couple in particular i've noticed has invested a lot into their marriage and into themselves and i feel like they have something special something that i admire and so i wanted to plug into them and find out what magic we can coax out of them and that you can plug in to formulate your vision for how to create an ideal situation for your marriage for your relationship so we have roger and daniela weatherall and they are from Bridgeport, technically, but they're also both from very far away. So respectively, where were you born? And then collectively, where did you meet? Well, I was born in Australia in a mud hut. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in the countryside on a farming community in Australia. And it was a very rural kind of upbringing. So I lived on a dairy farm for a while and we owned our own little hobby farm of about 17 acres. That's kind of small for Australia. And then my wife, on the other hand. I was born and raised in Milan, Italy. Fancy. Fashion capital of the world. And I actually was raised in a kind of a very open-minded family. When I was six years old, my parents decided that I should be a linguist. And they sent me to the British school in the afternoon. I would go to an Italian school in the morning and the British school in the afternoon. And then at age 10, I studied French, at age 13, German, and so on. So until I learned about six languages. And because of that, I traveled a lot throughout the world. 
So she was the sophisticated city-dwelling lady, and I was the crocodile wrestling Australian. If <laughs> <laughs> you've seen that movie, Crocodile, yeah, and that, that kind of describes how we are. You are much more handsome than that. <laughs> that so I can we, definitely see the fashion influence on you. There's many accessories on your beautiful wife. She's got a lot of fashion still going on. But it I seems am like jeweled from within. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> she knows how to dress. She knows how to put things together. And and she's that's some of that's kind of rubbed off on me over the years. Yeah. He just knows how to undress. <laughs> that's important too. Dress you can cut you can cut that out. <laughs> no, no, you leave that in. <laughs> we allow such things. So, so your context for life, I'm sure, is very different. And at some point you met. And did you meet? Please, please let us know. How did this happen? Well, we were matched personally by Reverend Moon in okay. 1989. January 9th. January 9th, 1989. So some of our listeners probably know about this matching process, but just to quickly explain it, Reverend Moon at that time called for people from all around the world to come to Korea if they wanted to receive a spouse recommended by him. So... I was working as a missionary in Australia at that time. I joined the church 10 years earlier, and my wife was in Italy, and we both separately received this invitation, and so we turned up in Korea. Then we were all in a big room together, and Reverend Moon basically picked us out of the crowd for each other. He actually picked him out for me, (laughs) because he came over, came and looked at me really intently, and I knew that. The search started. I had a lot of trepidation, but I just completely relinquished all my fears. And I felt he knows better than I do. We were both 28 at that time. So I just knew, you know, I had left a very privileged life behind. And so at that point, I was open to really embrace what his choice was in complete trust. Mm. So when he stood actually between Roger and I, we were sitting in front of each other and he was kind of staring at me and I was so annoyed <laughs> with this man, young man looking at me like, hello. Because she was the most beautiful yeah, woman yeah, in the yeah, whole yeah, room. Yeah, right, right. That's not true. <laughs> but when Ramon stood in between us and he motioned us to stand up, I thought, oh, no, the idiot. <laughs> <laughs> But actually, I had this incredible feeling that we were like two halves coming together, two halves of an apple, of a fruit, perfectly matching each other. And that, that was, was an intuition. You had this feeling. The Reverend Moon asked me to get up and then he asked Roger to get up and he looked at us and smiled. And so when I saw that it was the person who had been staring at me, I was really conflicted, but I left that on the side and I had this feeling like two halves perfectly coming together and that was about 30 seconds that I had that feeling for and then it totally disappeared and reality (laughs) hit and Roger looked at me and says we bowed went out and he says do you speak English (laughs) because of my name tag is that Italy well can I go back inside (laughs) so you had some time to kind of get to know each other you know at this point you weren't betrothed right you were just the proposal was on the table so to speak yeah so that was we went downstairs into another room and we talked for a little while uh, I think for about maybe two hours 
an hour maybe it was maybe 30 minutes All you right. told me you were jet time lag. is relative time is yeah. very relative apparently yeah My yeah gosh. yeah he said to me i'm so tired and so jet lag i'll see you tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> we decided let's give it a try so we went and signed the records there was a book you had to put your signature and then we really yeah. took it on faith we just i think really agreed to this out of our faith in God and our trust. And my experience when I first saw Daniela sitting in this room full of people was I saw in her something really special. It was like a glow that was coming from her mm. spirit, where it's like most people in a room are just sitting there passively receiving, but I really felt like she was giving. There was this energy that she was giving out. And I think that's something I've always perceived about her I also felt at the same time as I saw that, that uh, it would be not easy to be married to somebody like that because it would be a very intense experience. And so I had that kind of intuition right from the beginning. And that has very much proven to be true. So after we first got married, which happened three days later, after we wow. received that matching, we actually committed to each other in a, a marriage ceremony. But then really, we started to get to know each other after that point. And that well, was okay, so there's a couple of things there. So one just note is that she thought you were staring at her, but really you were geeking out on her aura, on her spirit, right? That's right. And then she was just creeped out by you or annoyed by you, as she said. But there's this whole notion, right? And all, so many people that we deal with, that we talk to young people, there's a lot of pressure to really focus a lot of your energy and attention on this process of being in love. And it seems like you completely did not go through that phase. You went straight to being married. And so it sounds like, I mean, through your own words, you said you did it on faith. But were you at any point worried that you were missing out on something because you were not going through this? I forget the term, like googly eyes, just kind of totally puppy love. Were you worried about that at all? Or was that completely not a factor whatsoever? Well, for me, it wasn't a factor. You know, my perspective on that is that I don't really know myself. We think we know who we are, but actually we have very little idea about our faults and our character flaws and this kind of thing. And I know the kind of person that I would perhaps like to be married to, but the person that I would like to be married to is not necessarily the person who is going to be the best for me in terms of my spiritual growth and my ability to learn how to love. So when I went into this marriage, I was really thinking, God, I want to put this into your hands so you can choose the person who is going to help me to grow the most and who I can also help to grow the most as well. Because I really saw love as a growing thing. It's not something that just, you know, it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. For me, love is a commitment. And sure. my wife asked me once in a heated argument, what is love for you? What does it mean? <laughs> And I said, commitment. And she nice. was like, so upset with me because she's Italian. <laughs> she wanted something more romantic than that, maybe. And what about yeah. for yourself? Actually, for me, it was really a question of facing God because I could have gotten married many times before. And I made the choice that marriage would have to be for love, not because of uh, privileged situations that I really had to marry somebody whom I deeply love. And I love God at that point more than anything else. And so I thought to myself, if I love God more than anything else, then the expression of God's love in a man will eventually come through. 
So it was totally out of faith. But the more I got to know him, the more I started doubting that. I really felt, well, somebody says I'm blessed, but that's not exactly how I feel. I felt cursed. I felt cursed, actually, what were my limitations? Because Roger was exactly everything I disliked in a man. Everything. And it was like from a deep kind of like character standpoint or personality or all of everything, everything. I mean, people kept telling me, oh, your husband is so handsome. And I would say, who are you talking about? I mean, it's just like, (laughs) you know, do you really know what handsome is? And this idea of commitment for me was at the very bottom of my list. For me, actually, love is making sure the other person is happy, fulfilled. To bring joy to somebody. That was what I felt and had experienced love to be. Commitment was a part of it, but definitely not on the top list. And I could feel that he had no clue. He was clueless. He was clueless in every possible sense, you know, just like we would go out to eat together and he would eat his meal. And by the end of the meal, he would say, Oh, by the way, do you want to try something? When he was completely full, he would say, <laughs> Would you like to try some of my food? I mean, that's something that you actually offer to your spouse at the beginning, not when you are satiated, right? When you are like, so the word like, it's like, where is this guy coming from? Which planet? Which planet is that? I really had to go within myself and find out who am I because I can't change him. The only thing I can change here is myself. And that's when the puzzle started coming together. This so many questions. My brain is lit up right now because I mean, that puts you in a very difficult position at that point because you don't see the value of this person. You don't understand why they're in your life. They don't feel like a good addition to your life. They feel like a negative addition to your life. And at that point, you don't value commitment. So what kept you in the game? Like that's where, honestly, we deal with a lot of couples and that's where many couples are at. And a lot of people don't make it out of that dark place where you just feel like, I don't think that we can negotiate this. I think this is beyond my ability to, I just can't like this kind of person. So how did you move on from that difficult place? And also at some point, like to hear Roger, you have a wife at that time who completely thinks you're a goofball or does not appreciate you. Was she very vocal about this fact? And like, was that really hurtful to you? I just want to talk about this time because the couple I see in front of me right now is not at all as this one that you're describing from the past. You know, one of my strong suits is being very maternal. I'm an extremely maternal person. At age four, five, I remember my dream was to get married. And I had targeted a little classmate in my kindergarten class. And I took care of him every lunch, made sure he would eat, make sure he would have his drink. And I had this incredible feeling of, oh my God, goodness, marriage is the most beautiful thing. And I come from a very loving family. My parents, my father was totally in love with my mother. You know, it's like they loved each other, three children. So it was my dream to get married and have children. That came to play a big role because I saw Roger as my child. And as my child, I felt a responsibility towards God. And I felt, what if I abandon him? He's going to be lost. It's just, there's no hope for him. And that sense of maternal instinct constantly working on me 
was my saving grace. And it lasted a few years, actually, before I was able to switch. Really feel this is my child. It's my responsibility. And also the understanding at one point, listening to Reverend Moon, looking at us sisters, women saying, you know, you create your own husband. You create the husband you want. And that was like the little light bulb went into my head. Like, okay, if I don't particularly like what I see, what can I do to help my husband become that ideal person? And I took responsibility for that too. So it really, really made a big difference in the way I was able to deal with a very unfavorable situation at that moment. I have more questions, but I do want to hear from the other half. So... From my perspective, I mean, this was a very difficult time. We would have uh, discussions and it was, it was very clear to, to me from our relationship that there were many things about me that she didn't like. In general, I really was very much in love with my wife this time. It was a hard experience, but part of me could always see the vision in the future of what our relationship could become if we could get past this. And I had a tremendous sense of, I guess, uh, almost a, a mission or a sense of purpose in trying to build that relationship together. And I remember once my wife asked me, we went on a little trip together and she to said, Pusan. to Pusan, and she said, why don't you leave? Like, why don't you just give up and, you know, go and find somebody else? And I said to her something like, because I see that one day you will love me so much that <laughs> all the pain and all of the suffering that we're going through will just disappear. I think I got off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some Jedi mind trick. You will love me. That's kind of what it was. Yes. She was like, I remember she got really upset with me at that point. <laughs> it's so funny because hearing that from a man that you love would be probably the most romantic thing that you could ever hear. But if it's somebody that irks you, it's probably the most annoying thing because you're like, I just want you to leave. <laughs> yeah. So I think from my perspective, a lot of it was just perseverance, just to, to hold on and never let go and to just keep on coming back. and. There were many times we had the discussion like, this is not going to work. And I just prayed. I brought God into that discussion and I asked God, what do you want? And the answer was always, just hang on, just keep going a little bit longer and things are going to get better. That's, well, that's what we did. So this is very important information. So I'd like to dig a little bit more because, you know, that's analogous to many people's situation, whether it's with their own recovery from some sort of addiction or whatever, where it's like the dark night of the soul situation, right? And there's this kind of desire to just go another five feet, like, okay, I'm, I'm just not going to give up. But it sounds like for you, what drove you was a vision. And mm -hmm. so I'd like to ask a little bit more clarifying questions about how clear was your vision? Are you saying that it was just you felt deep in your heart that there would be some inevitable future where you did love each other and you could see it? Or was it very fuzzy and you just felt like somewhere in this fog over there, there's going to be happiness? Like, I'd love to hear about this vision more because we're big on vision. Sometimes it was clear and sometimes it was a little foggy, but I think it was always there. And sometimes I'd have these very clear kind of ideas about how I could see us in the future, you know, with the family, with 
kind of relationship that we would have where we would really support each other and our differences could really be our strengths. We could support each other in these different areas, her vitality and her sense of culture and brightness and my practicality and my, you know, down to earthness or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) So I could see the value in our relationship and how that could work. But other times it was, I have to confess, it was a little hard to see that vision. I had to really resort to God because I came to a point actually where I asked God, you got to show me. What do you love about this man? I want to feel what you feel for him. And that was my prayer. And at that point, we had already started family life. And we had come to an agreement. We had sort of found each other in the midst of all this suffering and took us over five years. There was still something that wasn't clicking. So I just went to God and said, I want to feel what you feel for him. And when God listened to my prayers and responded, It was like, wow, if you feel the love that God has for somebody, there is no way that you cannot but love that person with the Mm. same love. So that was really a magical moment because I felt we were actually on the bed. We were joking with each other. And suddenly the room filled up with this warmth, energy, love that was just like, whoa, 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 where am I? What happened? What's going on? And he was completely ignorant about my prayer, what I was going through. And I just like felt this love coming through me for my husband and it was really like profound experience I saw who am I not to love somebody that God loves so deeply and so I surrendered I surrendered all my resistance and I remember we started tickling each other we started like being like two little kids playing with each other and it was like the most beautiful and pristine existence because I tapped into the origin of what love is. It was like night and day between before that point and afterwards. It was really just transformational, transformational experience that we had together because she could surrender to that love and to love me. And then I could transition from being her child to being her husband and being mm-hmm. her father and being her brother. And we could have this completely different, flexible kind of relationship from that point on. So it was no longer enemies. (laughs) We actually started to really experience those different kinds of relationships. That's amazing. And so this idea that you brought up before, Daniela, about making your husband, right? I wanted to tap into that. You said that Reverend Moon at some point said that you need to make your own husband or something like that. And that really stood out to me because that can be interpreted a couple of different ways, depending on where you're at. One is like, I'm going to mold this person into something that makes sense to me. Whereas what yielded these amazing results was you relinquishing this desire to kind of mold him and just, in fact, to let him be himself and to love him as he is in a sense. So how do those two things work coincidingly? This idea of making your husband, but also loving him for who he is. Well, I think one of the most important things is to relinquish expectations because expectations are like a boomerang. You throw it out, it comes back to kill you. Once you have expectation on anything, anybody, you will always be unexpectedly unhappy. 
because your mind is going to gear it up, your heart is going to gear it up to a certain level, and then reality hits you. So you relinquish expectations and you start looking at somebody the way God looks at that person. So, you know, like Roger loves to turn on all the lights, for instance, right? And he never turns them off. So I would leave little notes. God created the light and Roger never turned it off. And I would put it all around the switches. So instead of being irritated constantly by what this man was doing, I started looking at the things that he was doing and see the fun side of it. Started to decide it, chose not to get irritated, chose not to be turned off. And above all, I chose. I chose to love this man, which was something that I thought if God exists and God is true and Jesus is real and what we believe is real, there is no way that we cannot love somebody. So I switched my lenses. You know, I was filtering everything that was coming to me. So I threw away those lenses and just looked at this person and say, okay, there must be a diamond in there. Right now, all I see is the black of the coal. There must be a diamond. I could feel this man was pure, pure diamond. There was like this something inside of me. God had made that clear to me. The question was, how do you chisel away? You know, either go with a hatchet, like boom, with a hammer, and or you little by little polish it until the what is not needed sheds, where he himself feels like, well, you know, maybe if I want to make my wife happy, I will turn off the light <laughs> tonight. So, or what if I'll close the drawer? Or I'll do certain things because there is eagerness in and coming towards the other person. And really try to embrace an understanding where it was coming from and the fact that we were coming from completely different places and coming to a point where I envied actually where he was born, where how he grew up, you know, like something for me, you know, rural Australia. Oh, my gosh, that's horrible place you know instead of feeling like wow that's amazing that he was driving a tractor at six years of age, <laughs> you know. My parents would not have even brought me anywhere close to a tractor, let alone at six years of age. So, you know, learning, learning that you love science. I love history. I learned how to love science. You know, just like going constantly out of my comfort zone, cutting out those expectations and seeing what is there that can shine even more beautifully. And, you know, and the more I do that, and it's never ending. Because you never come to a point where that stops. It's constantly, I mean, perfection and completion are constantly in motion, mm -hmm. constantly. The moment you say, well, we have achieved that, you're dead. You're basically dead. So for me, every day when I wake up, it's a new beginning. It's a new way that we relate to each other, you know? It's a new way of expressing my love for him, appreciation, right? It's just like, let's renew it every day because the only time we have is now. Would you say that a healthy way of interpreting that, of making your husband would be, you're kind of creating that husband with the stories that you're telling about him, meaning the way that you feel about him, the things that you're reaffirming in your mind about him. Either you're creating him to be a monster by reaffirming these stories that are going on in your head, or you're looking for that diamond, like you mentioned. You're kind of trying to find out who God sees him as and tell yourself that story, because in that sense, 
you're creating a relationship with the person that you see. And that person can be interpreted in many different ways. And in the beginning, it seems like based on this resistance that you were talking about, you were resisting really truly looking at who he was and you were just reaffirming the story of who you saw him as. I think that I came into this marriage with a luggage. I was engaged before I decided to break this engagement to, you know, embrace something different. My idea of man, I always thought I traveled around the world extensively, but I always thought I would marry an Italian man. There would be no other possibilities. We actually have a saying in Italian that goes, donne vuoi dei paesi tuoi, which means you choose your own spouse the same way that you choose your cows. You know, they have to be from your own herd, from your own country. So that was very much inculcated in my mind. So the idea that, and I had told my dad, don't worry, I'll never marry an Australian. Yeah, so it's just like, because for an Italian, Australia is at the opposite end of the world. So I really had all these ideas of what a husband would be like. It's just like, you know, it was part of me. And to deal with this completely opposite idea, I had to really choose to focus on what was good. And it's a choice I make with everybody, because unless you choose goodness, unless you really concentrate and have given receive with goodness, you start looking at all the frailties and all the other things, there's no way that you can find happiness. No way. So by discovering all the goodness in him and making sure that his insecurity was taken away, was like, don't be insecure. I'm here. I'm here to stay. You know, I will love you and we'll go through all difficulties together and we'll just, you know, that really creates a completely different background in the relationship you're in, completely different. But it's a choice and it's a choice that you make every day, even with your children, with your neighbors, with anybody, right? Well, yeah. And I, I mean, part of the reason why I decided to reach out to you both because of a recent post that you put on Facebook about how handsome your husband was, right? So in the very beginning of this conversation, you were saying how you couldn't even see that. He hasn't gotten younger, but he's somehow become more attractive to you because of how you see him, right? And so this is truly inspiring because you are telling a story about him and you are affirming that he is handsome to you. And that's creating this. He is, you know, it's like manifesting what you insist is true. So that's really admirable. And I do have questions about you're saying about five years in, you had this mystical moment, you know, you're given the opportunity to love truly this man that had been in your life for five years up until that point. And so since then, Have you been doing a lot of intentional work on your marriage as well? This is for any couples out there to understand that. Because some people might hear that story and we have a lazy mind that's like, oh, so if I just pray, then everything goes away and then I'll be okay, right? But I'm sure there's been some effort that you put into your marriage since then. Actually, we had that experience and then we started having children (laughs) and they happened very quickly. And we gave our life and our love to our children. So. For me, it was like nothing counted anymore. I wouldn't even put makeup on because I had to be able to kiss my kids anytime I wanted and that kind of situation. Ten years of total devotion. Day and night, the children slept in the bed with us. We had a humongous bed and made all the sheets because there was nothing that was fitting them. My mother and I like were sewing. 
sheets together. But we realized at one point that we had a wall and that as the children started growing older, I remember at one point feeling, who is this man? I mean, he's the father of my children and okay, we created this, but who is he really? I actually felt ready to walk out. Again? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it wow. wasn't just a smooth yeah. sailing. So we actually was, it was a little longer than 10 years after that. It was maybe yeah. 12, yeah, 15 years or something. Yeah, but... it was like, you know, this happened after 21 years of marriage. I really felt this whole thing doesn't make sense. Do I really want to spend the rest of my life with this person? And it was a shocking, 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 shocking feeling. And I think that there was a lot of turmoil in our relationship. But I realized at that point that we had not built a life together. Everything was about the children, everything. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the children to have the best father. So it was the one who would do things with them. But we were missing out on our togetherness. And we really had to make an effort to build our relationship. Like, you know, going ballroom dancing, doing yoga together. We did line dancing. We came out with all sorts of things and we discovered that we actually could have a lot of fun together. And it was fantastic, you know, to suddenly discover that, well, not only is he my husband, he's also a tremendous companion and partner and we can have fun and laugh. And we had to completely rebuild our relationship on a very different level. She discovered I could actually dance where she thought I had cerebral no, no. palsy before. You know? <laughs> no, I discovered that you could learn how to dance. That's it, clear. Because, you know, every time we danced before, it was like, no, oh, thank you. But... Stop dipping on my toes. <laughs> Get off my toes. Yes, I know. But we had so much fun. Yes. Yeah. It was also about learning to communicate with each other as well mm-hmm. and, and sitting down and having long conversations about things that mattered. Would you say that you were falling in love for the first time at that point in your marriage, about 21 years into your marriage? No, it was the second time. Yeah, I think that what changed for me is that for 21 years, I said yes to an ideal. I had entered this covenant, not because of him, because of God. And after 21 years, I had to choose him. And that was really what made a huge difference was like, I had to say, I choose you, Pikachu. (laughs) That is exactly what happened. We had a recommitment ceremony, which we involved our children and, you know, had them read pieces of the Bible, you know, our scriptures. And I felt, and I feel today that if I could go back in time, I would say to God, please, please, God, give me that man. As my husband, that's where I have gone, where I would say to God, he's the only husband I ever want to have, which is for me an incredibly beautiful experience every time, because it's very real. It's very real to have come to this point. We've been blessed almost in January, it's going to be 33 years. So to have that feeling of, you know, asking God, he's the only man I want to marry and be married to. To me, it's fantastic. So do you feel that all that entire journey was really necessary for you to be able to get to this point? Or do you feel like you could have shaved some of that suffering off? Or do you feel like it all had a purpose? I think that when I look back, 
I think that chances of our marriage to be successful were very slim, honestly speaking. Knowing myself, not because of him. I take full responsibility for the way I felt. So for me, this is an incredible victory that, you know, Roger says to me, I tamed you. <laughs> you know, I was a, uh, this wild, in a way, I was a very wild person, you know, within the limits, but very independent, a person really on my own, not to be molded in a certain way. So I had to come and make the decision. I chose, I had to choose, not decide. I decided to follow God's path, but I had to choose in the end. A decision is very reversible, but a choice is something that gives you full responsibility, ownership. Mm. You know, when I choose, I have ownership over my choice. So being able to tell my husband, I choose you, I choose you, of course, with God's blessing, is something that was very, very, very powerful. And can I say things could have been better? Yeah, sure. I could have been a much wiser woman. But who knows? Who knows what we carry with us, right? Who knows what is behind us and around us? And who knows what we are, quote unquote, restoring in life, yeah. right? Or fixing, in a sense, to speak sure. a more common language. We don't know. Yeah, perhaps there were decisions we could have made or things that we could have done earlier on in our relationship to avoid some of the difficulties that mm. came up. If we had only known, you know, or if somebody had told us or educated us about these things. But on the other hand, I also feel that because of the experiences that we've had, we are now in a position to really help others who are struggling with those issues as well, or to hopefully prevent them from going through those issues. And we're really thinking about preventative measures. You know, what can you do to help a couple avoid the suffering, avoid the crises, avoid getting into those situations where they're like talking about divorce. You know, I just came back from Italy and I'm in touch with my childhood friends, high school friends. I am the only one who was married once and has three children. The majority of them are to their, in their second, third marriages. Hardly anybody has any children. Maybe one has one, one has two. They always tell me, you know, Daniela, you kind of raise the average of the Italian population because <laughs> you have three children. But when I look at my friends, I am shocked, shocked at what I see because that could have been me. You know, they laugh at me. They say, you know, you are a true Catholic, <laughs> <laughs> which I guess is a compliment coming from them. But it's a reality that people just go through hell and back and they don't know what they're doing. They're lost. They're so lost that it's frightening. And so Roger and I feel we really need to help people. We need mm. to help people from going down that narrow valley of death. Because you die every time you go through those experiences. You know, every time you go through a divorce, every time you go through a failure in a relationship, it, you die. There's a part yeah. of you that dies. And that's really sad. Really, really sad. Let's talk about, we have a bunch of people who listen to this who are in the early phases of a relationship. They just got married. They just got blessed, perhaps. And you just said, if they don't know kind of what they're doing, your friends in Italy, and I, I would agree that a lot of people have no idea what they're building. They're just kind of going by their feelings. They're just going day to day, not much intentionality. So if you could offer some just very brief words of advice for a young couple, let's say, to avoid 
a lot of pain, is there some basic thing that they can do now at the beginning of their relationship that could put them in a good trajectory for the future? For me, communication is number one. I am a communicator. He wasn't. I would ask him a question and he would say to me, I'll tell you in three days. I'm asking you now. <laughs> it's like the government. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. That used to drive me insane. So to learn how to communicate and to be honest and sensitive in your communication, it's very important. Because if I let him know how I feel and he's able to develop his listening skills and understands and I do that, there is less possibilities of misunderstandings. Because when you start misunderstanding each other, you make decisions that are not accurate. So really learning, being proactive, and even just do things together, even just praying together and sharing. We go on a walk almost every day, and that is our communication time. If we have something to discuss, we do that while we walk. Finding time to really spend together one-on-one. This is not just the intimate moments, but really like moments outside the intimacy where you are intimate on a very different level. But that really helps. And even just doing things like the marriage course. I mean, what is it, the 10th time we're going to be doing it now? Mm. We're still learning. I mean, it's amazing. You know, sometimes I think, oh my gosh, is it possible we're doing, we're running this course again? And yet every time we learn something special. I think being proactive in your relationship is really important. The tendency is to become complacent and to think that everything is going to work out or everything is okay, especially as a guy can be, you know, in their little world and they're they're working away and they're doing everything and they think everything's fine. The little boxes. In their layers and in their comfort zone. But actually, a woman's world can be completely different and you can drift apart through inaction. And that happens in so many couples. It's not that they hate each other and they argue and they fight all the time, but because they're not proactively working on their relationship and investing in it, then they wake up one morning and they're separate because a relationship is a growing thing. And a growing thing means that it has to be fed, it has to move, it has to change constantly. Otherwise, it will die. So if you're not feeding your relationship, it's going to die. It's really important to do the courses, to read the books, to spend time talking with each other, to spend time doing things together with each other in order to build that relationship and doing things for others too doing something that is real for others like take care of your neighbors take care of friends together there's nothing like you know when we started working together with the same mission in mind it brought us closer and closer and closer because then we can actually kind of bring in a higher source of love power that unfolds us both in a deeper way Yeah, thank you so much. I I personally took a lot of notes. I just think it's a really important conversation. This is a part of our world that is presently not working well, which is that a lot of wisdom from people who've been there, been through their thing and come out the other side is not being connected to the next generation just because there's this generational disconnect presently in society, I think throughout the world, as far as I can tell. So I find this extremely valuable and I know a lot of people will. And I appreciate you not just for being on the podcast, of course, for that. 
but especially for all your hard work because you are making it easier for the rest of us because you do have that wisdom that is not even remotely theoretical. It's etched into your soul because you had to go through these lessons time and again until you really got them. So I appreciate like every couple that can go through that and survive. If everybody quit, then it would make it a lot easier for everybody else to quit. You guys didn't quit. So I really appreciate all of your hard work. It hasn't gone unnoticed or unappreciated. So thank you. And I think it's much more than surviving. Surviving it always keeps you at this level. We've been thriving, you know, nice. and that is when you know, yes, we made mistakes, but we are thriving. We didn't just say, okay, you know, let's keep going. We took whatever failure and turned it into gold. And I think that is like something that is yours forever. You own forever and can only build on it. Amazing. Hello, everybody. Andrew Love here for one last announcement. And that is, I encourage you to join our newsletter. We don't spam people. We give you the goods. We give you good quality information once a week in your email. And so we send out newsletters probably Saturdays mid-morning on average. And these are filled with blogs, the latest content, everything you need to know in order to get through your week with high noon light. So let us light up your inbox. Join our newsletter by going to highnoon.org. It's all right there. It's super easy. We won't spam you. We just want to let you stay connected to this high noon providence. So go to highnoon.org and sign up for our newsletter.